Happy Sunday afternoon brunch show. You getting hammered there? You got a cocktail? Yes. Hell yeah. That's the way to do it. It's time. Uh, it's time. It? <laughs> One o'clock in the afternoon. This afternoon. I, We're good. I can respect that. Special brunch episode with uh, Guy Swan. And uh, before we <laughs> delve into the detail of the global elites trying to retake over the entire world under one global economy, under a currency that probably won't be Bitcoin. I got to shout out YoDelta.com, home of, uh, well, not the, the $6 kilos YoDelta, but YoDelta, I mean YoKratom. YoDelta, you go there, you get yourself some gummies, eat it, and then you go, fuck, man, the socialists are coming for my money. So go load up. Promo code RYM, you get 20% off. Mr. Swan, it's been a long time. Yo. How's that kid coming? You still like it? He's still, yeah. He's, uh, he is um, wildly entertaining. He's, he's getting to that point where he has this extreme motivation to move around. And he he wants to get places, but he still can't do that yet. Um, but it's hilarious to see him. Ju he just wants to touch and explore everything. It's amazing um, the boring shit that parents can enjoy about their it's own. It's so kids. much fun. It really is so much fun to see somebody like experience something. Like, just like looking at his hand. He's just like. Right. Like, just <laughs> like, this is what is this thing? And it's figuring great. it all out. And are you thinking yeah. about having more kids just in case this one turns shitty on you? Because that's why most yes, parents that's do exactly it. the reason, because we got to hedge our bets. You know, yeah. it's like an investment. You got to have you got to have a, a backup plan. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, me and my wife were talking about it just uh, just yesterday, actually. Is how many kids are we going to have to hedge this bet in case? Right. Uh, Rad. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need Bitcoin to be at that you can be in the market to produce another kid? Oh man, that's a good question. And at least back to sixty thousand. At least back. Yeah, you know, like at sixty, I can afford another one. At ten, I'm gonna have to sell this one. That's about right. It's somewhere in there. All right. So before I, I, I do really want to get into the World Economic Forum, uh, but before mm -hmm. we do that, the FTX scandal. Uh, I'm convinced that the government was in on this. Uh, that this was the preferred player that they were uh, looking to work with them and that either it was a intentional blow up that happened too early, that it didn't happen on their timetable and they were hoping to uh, take out more of the crypto universe uh, in a need for regulation, uh, or they, this was just the people that they were going to work with kind of on digital currency and, you know, working with the preferred platform. Uh, I give it to you as more information within the crypto space what do you think was going on there? Am I being too conspiratorial here? No, I originally thought you were, or I would have thought that position was right. Um, like right when it blow, blew up, um, my thinking is welcome to crypto. You know, right. um, like this is this is not new. This is something that we've seen over and over and over again. And when you run, you know, basically the so much, almost the entirety of the crypto space outside of Bitcoin is to me, looks to me, their practices, the culture, everything about it is taking the fiat financial system, taking the culture of the VC Silicon Valley, cheap debt, endless money stream and taking those practices and trying to apply it to crypto, trying to apply it to the Bitcoin ecosystem. So it's inevitable that it blows up in their face. You know, it like we've saw this from the very beginning with Mt. Gox. You can't run fractional reserve in Bitcoin. And what they did to get around the apparent fractional reserve in this era of the the maturity of the uh, ecosystem was just a different kind of fraud. Rather than explicitly running fractional reserve, 
they created a fraud, a, just a nonsense token that had no liquidity whatsoever. And then you can wash trade that token. So if your FTX, Al Alameda owned like um, FTX created a token of their own. Like they created an FTT, the FTT token yeah. that they print for free. And then they sell to money. They sell to people for money. Um, and then Alameda owned like 75% or 80% of the entire outlying supply. And when they, when they do their, their uh, they can basically trade with themselves. I mean, imagine I issue a billion tokens tomorrow of just guy bucks. And then on you my own put, exchange, you put 10% of them in the of market. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put a tiny portion of them in the market and then I buy them for a buck. Well, then suddenly I have a billion dollar valuation. Suddenly I have Brilliant a billion scam. dollars that I can leverage against. And that's what they did. That's what they did. They said the majority of their backing was their their own bullshit FTT token. Um, and so they had the appearance of we're not doing fractional reserve, but they were just taking customer funds and just doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do with them. Um, um, so it's just fraud. It's just like slightly more obscured fraud. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's not really a whole lot different than what Enron did. They just did it with tokens instead of like subsidiaries. You know, like right. they, they just but, hid the fact that they didn't have the money. Um, I think and what, they did it behind an illiquid token. I think what dooms it, though, is that fractional reserve banking with the backing of the Fed uh, with large enough institutional players, you'll get a bailout. I mean, it's literally designed just loan yeah. more money into existence. Exactly. With Bitcoin. It is designed for bailouts. That's why BlackRock mm -hmm. pension funds just got a bailout. It is designed for it. That's the design. But you leave the traditional banking hemisphere and you start running the exact same scams without the Fed bailing you out. Well, then it will fail. It doesn't matter if yeah. it's a five or 10. And you and I might look at the Fed system and go, that's going to fail at some point, too. But that might be 100 years from now, might be 150 mm -hmm. years from now. When it comes to the, uh, the, the world of crypto, if we're engaging in fractional reserve banking and we're leveraging off of earlier assets and leveraging off of that, every five to 10 years, there will be a massive blowout. That will, like yeah. it's literally inevitable, uh, which uh, has converted me back to your stance, which is, hey, Bitcoin's great. Literally everything else in this entire sphere, probably don't touch it. Unless yeah. someone can actually explain to me the utility of like one of these, like I, I understand the value of a shitcoin if there's like something that actually is being like, because shitcoin can exist in a way very similar to equities. Like it can exist where instead of like doing an IPO, you're basically funding uh, with your coin. But it's like then you need to have a product that admit, like that you actually produce something that does something. But if yeah. it's just the coin with nothing tied to it, then you will like it's inevitable. It you, there's no value. So there's two things. The first thing you were talking about was the difference between the Fed and like a Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah. Is so essentially what they and the and the reason it might blow up in a hundred years, but we just don't know when, is because they've essentially socialized the downside in the fiat economy because what they've done is they've taken the ability to do a bank run away by essentially printing the currency to fulfill any bank run and then they've said they, they've publicly stated we've eliminated the fragility and we've the unsustainability of uh you know fractional uh, of uh irresponsible banks right we've just saved everybody but what they've done is they've just moved the problem They've scaled the problem like an order of magnitude, and they've moved the problem from the individual bank run to a currency run. 
is it, this just goes on until the currency dies and you have so much bad behavior and so much irresponsibility and so much leverage in the entire system because you've changed the culture of finance. You fundamentally changed every player's behavior because the only way to be profitable now is to just margin up like crazy and get as much of the new flood of money as possible so that you've 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 outbid everyone else in the economy so that you're the one that can actually buy up the assets when the shit storm comes back into full uh, full blown you know spray of fecal matter through the air current generation machine um and uh the uh so it's turned a bank run problem and a bank fragility problem into a currency run and a currency fragility problem which means that we take everyone down with us um bitcoin has turned it back into a bank run problem it has re it has re-decentralized the fundamental architecture. And that's why you can have a couple of bad, scary tweets and reveal some information about FTX. And then in four days, the whole thing blows up because people just like, I want my shit back. I want my <laughs> Bitcoin. And then they run out. They just run out. Um, and that's ultimately why Bitcoin works. Like why Bitcoin is fundamentally going to change everything because this behavior is going to get punished instead of rewarded. In Bitcoin, you are going to get clobbered. You are going to be, you're going to be slapped upside the head every single time you think you can get away with fractional reserve. And everybody who trusts the person who says, "Don't worry, we got it sorted out. We're back with FTT token." Blah blah blah. <laughs> everybody who embraces that culture is also going to get punished. They're technically the victim, but their behavior should change too. You should stop doing business with thieves. You like you just have to. We either mature our way out of this, or this just keeps happening. Um, but luckily in Bitcoin, it's going to force it to keep happening um, until until we learn. Uh, but we got a lot to learn because we got you know seventy years of horrible, horrible uh, behavior and business practices and financial deep, deep financial irresponsibility and recklessness to beat out of the population with monetary losses, basically. Uh, and uh, th this is something I, I said recently on the show, but it ties in, is there's something incredible to me when it comes to a platform like FTX where a single tweet that has information in it can actually bankrupt a platform. Whereas mm -hmm. you look at something like COVID policy, where a tweet could have more accurate information than the official narrative, but it doesn't deplatform the official narrative. Which, yeah. if we did not have fractional reserve banking in the Fed and endless money it in could. these institutions, then it actually could. It yeah. could be that if, like, some information came out that an institution that we all trusted for, like, imagine if the FDA was actually publicly funded by, like, a Bitcoin where everyone who wanted the information from the FDA had to contribute, let's just say, a dollar a year or whatever the fuck it was. Mm -hmm. And then we found out that they actually uh, gave a preferred player you know, gr granted their thing as opposed to someone that we would defund it. We would all just pull our membership, um, <laughs> which we don't really have an option for. But it's so interesting to see that when it comes to something like finance, you know, a single piece of information like a tweet can literally erode billions of dollars in value because it didn't actually exist. You can actually expose yeah. it. Yeah, it just reveals you just you, you take the curtain off and right. they can't they can't prop up the illusion. Um, because you can actually see and you, you can withdraw back to, to reality when it comes to Bitcoin. You can't do that with the currency, with uh, fiat. Right. All right. So now let's move on to uh, Carl Schlob in the uh, World, World Economic <laughs> Forum. 
Uh, now, for a while, I was somewhat ignoring it because the, I, I guess the conspiracy side of the news didn't really interest me as much mm-hmm. as like what I could tangibly see. And and when I mean tangibly see, it would be like uh, um, regulatory capture. Uh, it would be things like, uh, you know, fractional reserve banking in the Fed. It's like I, I could be looking at the tools. It didn't really matter what was going on in the back room that was getting these things to happen. I could just look at these things and go, well, this is what's happening. So let's just stop with their You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I, I like yeah. I don't need to see the chess player. We could just be like, all right, let's throw out the fucking chess board. Why are we why are we letting someone play these games? Uh, I now see what's going on with the green energy push and a push away from economic development from uh, I, I I can just see it. I can see it with BlackRock and ESG scores that preferred players are trying to rig the market where you don't have to compete. You don't have to create value. And so that essentially they're going to get paid on investments that otherwise wouldn't be profitable. And it's going to be at the expense of all of us. It's going to be at the expense of growth. The, the FTX thing, I look at and I just go, OK, these are the preferred players. They're trying to come up with their scandals that they can continue to run the banking system like I can just see it. And now it's becoming more and more evident by the lack of any criticism of this economic forum guy who's a foreign entity that for some reason him and Bill Gates get to make these. uh, um, And by the way, the FTX guy is a good example. He's still going to be speaking at some New York Times thing. He's still getting favorable coverage. It makes no sense. The guy's literally a thief. I don't understand. Yeah, he's being portrayed in the media as someone who wanted to save the world and it just didn't work out. (laughs) Right. And so we should still hear him out. It was just a simple error because he was in over his head. And if we can just give him uh, more money and more power, he might figure out the new scheme to make money that he can just give it to charity. Bullshit. But that's the new thing. That is the new that is the new sale of, hey, look at how charitable we can be if we engage in stakeholder capitalism and we reorganize. Uh, So I'll hand it back to you just because I don't even know where to start researching. We're in like a new media landscape where things just get buried. It's like you get two narratives. You get the official narrative and then you get people on Twitter going, I call bullshit. That doesn't make sense. And then a leap to whatever. I mean, the Nancy Pelosi story is a good example of that. It didn't really make sense that some guy just broke into their home. The idea that Paul's with gay hookers. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's like a yeah. like or you take the Epstein story. It doesn't make sense that he was hung. I mean, that he killed himself. But to say mm-hmm. that, you know, he was recalled by Mossad or someone came in and killed it. We don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like official narrative doesn't make sense. And then we just do conspiracy leap. So you look at the Carl Schlob guy in a culture that should not be embracing socialism, should not be embracing other world powers wanting to make decisions for our government, should not be looking at green energy over uh, carbon usage and economic growth. Like all of these things should just be simple. Mm -hmm. But he seems to be getting favorable coverage. He seems all the world leaders are there. They're shaking hands. And I don't even know who the fuck the guy is. It's like, who is he? Where did he come from? What the fuck is this organization? Why do they have any power? What are they pushing? And what are the odds that it actually comes into fruition? So the World Economic Forum is an interesting thing. You know, it's really hard to pick apart, pick out the facts from the fiction. And there's a degree of legitimacy to the conspiracies to, to the more elaborate, ridiculous conspiracies in the fact that most of them make more sense than reality or than reality, than the truth, quote unquote, than the narrative that is being pushed. There are so many inconsistencies and contradictions um, in 
essentially the story we're supposed to believe. And I think that's why some of these conspiracies just run rampant. I think there are a lot of competing interests. Actually, I had a really great conversation. The very last episode that I published on the show, we kind of dig into a lot of this. Uh, oh, Bitcoin Audible, Bitcoin Audible. The last uh, we I did an interview with Matt Hill. Um, he's the CEO of uh, Start Nine, um, and we kind of talked started out talking about like self hosting and like digital sovereignty and just like the tools because they have like a new product that I'm kind of jazzed about. Um, but um, what's a self hoster own media? Um, self host my own chat rooms, wallets, like payment process. Like, like it's it's just basically encompassing everything about like the Bitcoin node and then turning it into your entire communication life so that you're running off a device that you own and it stores your information. Um, but uh, there's a lot to go into, but we kind of, so we kind of get technical in like the first 45 minutes or so. But after that, we just kind of like generally talk about the state of the world. And he, he uh, said something that I think, is deeply in line with what you were just saying is that it's so difficult to understand what the hell is going on and to make sense of fact from fiction because we're in the fog of war. This is why they call it the fog of war. We are in a war. There are massive, a massive number of competing interests. They are all competent in some regard and they are all deeply incompetent in another regard. And they're all clashing because things are changing aggressively. Now, the World Economic Forum has a, despite the fact that there will undoubtedly be, you think about any organization with power, there's fighting within the organization, right? So the WEF started in 1971, uh, which should be the most prescient thing to tell you about where this is headed. If you've ever, you know, the WTF happened in 1971, like the, I, I, the I, meme, I, the thing. I mean, I've heard that that's when he published his first book and started the World Economic Forum. Okay. Well, WTF happened in 1971.com. Okay. Uh, go, to, go to that website, WTF happened in 1971.com. Um, it's basically tracking so many statistics and details and trends in the U.S. And some, I think, are even like world statistics. Because 1971 is when we officially went off the gold standard. We okay. lost even the slight tether to the restrained by sound money element of our monetary system. And we went full fiat. And I think it is not even slightly a coincidence that the World Economic Forum was created at the same time. And essentially what this institution is or how it started, it's basically a collection of the wealthiest people and the most powerful politicians get together and they talk about the plan for the world. <laughs> um, and which on its face is so deeply arrogant. I could not imagine a group of people that are more disconnected from the reality of the population than this group of people. And simultaneously, I couldn't imagine any more, anyone more arrogant and more influential in directing the future and believing that they are obviously the only ones with the solution. Um, and uh, really probably for like the first 10 or 15 years, it was almost more of a uh, let's get together and stroke each other off and talk about how great we are and have a big vacation. Uh, and then they started getting into, sometime in the 80s, they started getting into public policy and inviting more politicians. And I think it was like 
87 or something that they actually had the president of Luxembourg there as their opening speech. Like they just got into like, we need to fix the world. It's time that we take all of our collective influence and we solve everybody's problems. I have to interject and just go to me, any language of we're going to fix the world is propaganda for, Hey, we got to make sure that we're controlling critical industries and that it like we don't they don't want open markets, open markets no. and freedom means new competitors. It means decentralization with decentralization and podcasting. I've already said that it's one of the best examples of decentralization it used to be. You got one or two places where you could get news. And those are the only people who got to make money off the news. Now yeah. I'm able to make money doing my own news show that exists yeah. because of the decentralization of media and the ability to put out content that will happen in more industries. They don't want that. They want everything as centralized as possible because the more centralized it is, the less that they need to compete in order to make money. That's it, it, it's really that simple. It's one simple theme. Uh, and so I, well, I, think, I, yeah. You think about it. This is a lie that everyone tells themselves. Right. You know, so it's not, it's not something new. It's just that when you're in a position of staggering power and outsized access to a money printer, that the the subtle and constant arrogance of every human becomes a massive systemic problem when you create an organization like this you know like it's natural for me to think that if i had more control over things things would be better in the things that i had control over right okay um, so of course they think that and of course the the more the less humble they become the more they are convinced that their control is the solution and this is where like the conspiracy theories the idea that this is like some and i I use the idea of conspiracy almost equating it with the word silliness which is i think is kind of how it's become evolved you know over time which hilariously enough was actually a cia operation like this was part of like the mk ultra and the propaganda machine was to equate the word the term conspiracy theory with ridiculousness like so it's it's mind-boggling to think that this was actually this has succeeded but that this was actually an outcome of government propaganda and everyone has accepted it and just nobody knows where it came from or why it evolved that way this is how much control they've had over the media since the 80s and the 70s but um, regardless, using that concept of conspiracy theory, of u- using their language of it's silly, the silliness falls away because they explain it. They literally explain their goals. Like, it's not a conspiracy. It is an open mission. They they openly talk about what they seek to achieve. If you listen to or, or you read um, an audiobook, but uh, if you listen to um, uh, The Fourth Industrial Revolution by Klaus, uh, Klaus Schwab and uh, COVID nineteen, the Great Reset. Like, and you listen to his his talks. Um, like they, they're one hundred percent. And this is this is the other thing too. Like, particularly the Fourth Industrial Revolution is that don't get confused. Look for the ideology underlying it. Like, like parse the ideas slowly as he goes through them because there's a lot of flowery language of like everything's getting great and there's so much advanced technology and artificial intelligence and blockchain and machine learning and all of this stuff. But then when you break it down to like it, it's basically flowery emptiness of things are changing, which is like great point at all the things that are changing. But then every single thing has this underlying, but we need to make sure it doesn't get out of control. We need to make sure that it doesn't get used for bad purposes, so we need to control it. 
and all of their quote unquote solutions are systems of control. And they explicitly say this, you know, the, the idea of vaccine mandates has, is a longstanding idea from this organization and from the other, like the uh, Digital Identity Alliance, like the ID2020 and uh, like 2016, there was a paper written and distributed through this organization and their systems talking about how immunization will be a great opportunity for digital IDs and a global reputation system. And consider the framing. This is always the framing. And the framing is the thing that should enlighten you, is the thing that should reveal their value hierarchy. It's immunization. And this is since. There's another, I've got like a, oh, God knows how many links on this. There's another .gov uh, thing about how COVID-19 vaccines um, present a great opportunity for digital IDs. Is That's always the hierarchy is that the digital IDs are the goal. COVID-19 and mandatory immunization is the how. It's the motivation. It's not, the, it's not public health is the goal. It's not digital IDs and a reputation system will ensure public health. It's always implied and they kind of like throw it in there as their excuse. But the tool of the thief is always deceit. It's always just say something bullshit and pretty to get you to go along with it. But they put at the top of their hierarchy control. Digital ID. How do we get people into this global reputation system? And they've been trying to do it for a decade. It's not new. It didn't just show up out of nowhere in 2020. They were ready. They've been writing papers on it and discussing it forever. And this was their opportunity. This was their glorious moment. And they, they even hailed Jesus. They even just patted themselves on the back and congratulated themselves for the entire um, – I guess it was maybe 2021, the WEF uh, meeting for 2021, about how great they did in 2020. I can't imagine looking at the state of the world. We obliterated the supply chains. We killed half of small business across the planet. The only people who profited are all of the people in that room whose value went up by 20 or 30% in a matter of like a year and a couple of months. And they're patting themselves on the back. We did such a good job. Look is at that, how great the outcome is. Is that true that 50% of small businesses were wiped out through Corona? Yeah. And that's, no, that, not Corona, not Corona, lockdowns. Lockdowns wiped out globally 50% of all small businesses. It's, it was 50% in the U.S. Um, right. And I know it was worse in, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's a cohesive global statistic, right. but I don't think that's far off the mark. Right. Well, it's wild some of the things that they say out loud because they clearly are like, hey, this health tracking is huge because we're going to be able to make sure that people get every vaccine. And not only can we do health tracking, mm -hmm. they, they start celebrating what's going on in China or they've made loose remarks of that. Like, isn't it incredible with the technology that they have, how well they're able to control their entire population. And then mm -hmm. they look at what goes on with all that. And like, we might even be able to extend this to carbon. I, uh, and yeah. I, I see, I see two sides. This one, it's the control aspect that they want. Uh, they want us to opt into new platforms that will allow them a level of control that they would otherwise lose with technology. And the scariest renditions of this are um, digital currency that they can remove you from your money at any point in time. And by remove mm -hmm. you from your money, it could just be like, I, I don't know, the same way I can't be on a social media platform. Uh, a whole bunch of stores have just decided my money's not acceptable there. Um, yeah. which, which they've already know, tested in Canada. And yeah. Succeeded. 
Um, and but it's they just don't have the overarching system to make it simple. They have a they have conglomerate influence over the financial institutions that allows them to they don't want to have to ask. They don't want to have to ask. They don't want to have to send out a memo. They don't want to have to contact people. They just want to be able to do it. Um, I mean, the the freaking was it Department of Transport, the Canadian version of the Department of Transportation or something. Um, during the trucker convoy thing, they they asked like, "Do we have any tanks?" <laughs> and the she was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure we'll figure that out. We'll get you some tanks so you can go solve this protest situation." And then, like they don't they like think about the lack of restraint. Like there was there was no question. There was no there was no like should we do this? You know, it was do we have the tanks and where are they and how do we get them to the truckers to end this? And then uh well yeah, the Canada stuff saw very clearly what what they'd like to do and what they're willing to do. Uh and we've oh. even seen it with PayPal. Uh, oh, with yeah. them trying yeah. to just create a platform where, hey, if we don't like what you're doing, we're just going to basically take your money. And I, it's also important to note, too, that Canada, um, Klaus has publicly patted himself on the back and talked about how great it is that they have so many leaders around the world, political leaders around the world who are their young global leaders, which get the backing and the support of all of these billionaires and politicians and bureaucrats so they have this outsized capacity to to control the narrative because they control the institutions and the networks that that release the narrative that tell us you know who can be censored and uh what filters get into our feeds and get onto our legacy media channels so they have the very mechanisms needed to get these people in power but klaus is openly said like i got like video clips from his interviews and things about how Trudeau is a young global leader and also about half of his cabinet that they have quote unquote penetrated the cabinet and that he's very proud that the WEF, the world economic forum, young, young global leaders, which is basically it's, it was uh, described as the most exclusive private social network in the world. It is, it is a private network of billionaire groomed uh, politicians. Sounds like treason. Um, sounds like a absolute shit show. I mean, yes, it, it I mean, it sounds like something out of a movie where it's like Russia's got. It's, it sounds like it's, a crazy conspiracy born yeah. into reality. Like it sounds like the most absurd sort of like SS police sort of right undermining groom... political systems around the world and not caring about actual citizens and representation of the countrymen. Like, I mean, it just sounds like a global takeover. Like, and right. and this is this is open. You know, it's not even it's not a conspiracy. This is just how they describe it. We're going to groom world leaders and uh, give them the backing that they need, the funding and training that they need to go get elected. And they're going to then be in charge of all these countries and vote for our agenda, which is not in the interest of those civilians or the autonomy of that country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is their goal. Again, they want to set up global. You know, there's a. I think an interesting analogy on how to think this and think about this and why it's also kind of an inevitable outcome of the centralization of our systems. Um, th this thinking is the outcome because again, I think these are very natural, very base human fallacies amplified by the economic control uh, presented with a money printer. 
the the essentially a money printer and finance becoming a tool of politics means that you can direct all of the capital in the world regardless of your productive ability or innovative capacity whatsoever you just get you just get blanket access to everyone's capital you can outbid everyone because you're going to get the debt first um and then they measure their success by profit which is only real in a free market but their profit is basically a feedback loop of the fact that they get to invest in the things that they're bidding up in price before everyone else gets new capital. And then obviously they have outsized returns because the, the value of the dollar is falling after they get it. So it's a, it's a, it's a self-reinforcing feedback loop that the things that they invest in the hard assets that they invest in and the ownership that they essentially steal through um, seniorage, the access to the currency that other people don't have um, makes those things the most valuable. Um, and because they're the things that everybody needs. And so they price everybody else out of the market and then the prices go up and where everybody else gets hit with 10% inflation, they get hit with 3% inflation. So it looks like they have a 7% return um, because they got, they got the assets before prices went up. Um, but anyway, um, so in the extension of that sort of, that fundamental problem that is caused by the access to money, you're amplifying this normal human uh, negative characteristic, this, this normal human behavior of arrogance, of I'm right and everybody else is wrong, um, of the lack of humility, and you're rewarding it. Um, and in doing so, you get these what's essentially happening in like our networks and the attempts to create this global digital ID system. Uh, and this is where like in the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset, Klaus talks about the solution as these systems of control and either he's just failing to recognize or just doesn't care that they have all of the same problems. It's just centralizing it. So it's just like I talked about with the moving of the problem in the bank run is that you could have a single bank, fail to fractional reserve well they just make it they they grow the consequences they don't economically scale the system they economically scale the fallout of the system so rather than individual bank runs you have currency runs you have country runs and everyone pays the price rather than having a market where people where it's actually responsive to individual values and individual choices. And so it can actually split off and you can compete with the different courses of action. And then one succeeds and one fails. Everyone fails together, even the proper and responsible course of action. Um, so um, in that, that's exactly what they're doing with the digital ID system. So he talks about like the problems with AI and machine learning and blockchain and all of these things and how, what we need to do, like, like the new thing, the new thing to, scare about that outside of a pandemic is a cyber pandemic now which makes me think that we're probably gonna have a cyber pandemic because i'm in quite of someone hacking all of our shit yeah of, of hacking the digital infrastructure like basically having a backdoor or a, a ddos like whatever it is to get into our infrastructure networks and basically shut down all digital communication for some span of time which would be horrific like absolutely like the, the economy would literally grind to a halt. We couldn't even send basic communication. Like our coordination would drop by 99% overnight. Um, and uh, in doing so, you would be looking at a Holocaust. Um, I kind of think, depending on your number, we're actually experiencing a Holocaust right now um, as a result of lockdowns, their policies, the fallout, and the vaccine. 
uh, or the the therapeutic um, experiment that they're forcing onto everybody is not a vaccine. Um, we might and, have to leave YouTube now. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, um, no, it's all good. Wait, wait. Let's hold down. <laughs> Everyone, what guy just said was not a statement in fact. It was uh, for humor reasons. Obviously, no one believes that. The 100%. man's drinking in the afternoon. Comedy. And uh, for the rest of this conversation, please join us on Odyssey, Twitter, or <laughs> Twitch. All right. While we oh, do, give me, I, sorry to. Uh, um, I gotta no, I quick. get it. I Let get me pee it. real quick while I do that. Plug whatever, yeah. and then we'll hop back into it. Also, I got tour dates. I'm going to be in uh, Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, St. Louis. That's this weekend. Followed by next weekend, St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas City, and Omaha, Nebraska. Go to RobbieTheFire.com for ticket links. Uh, it's not yet up, but we are going to be doing big-time shell, banger, end-of-year, New Year parties. Uh, Shedcast boys are going to be there for New Year's. Uh, and I'm going to be trying to get a Philly, New York City, and maybe Boston show to kind of run a uh, last-ditch Hail Mary effort at an end-of-year thing. All right, Guy, plug the Bitcoin Audible. I'll be back in a minute. All right, so Bitcoin Audible. Um the, the main format of the show is we read all the best stuff about Bitcoin, but it's honestly to teach about how to opt out about the, the, the last example. The reason I brought it up actually um, with uh, the episode with Matt Hill uh, was because I think it was actually pretty on point with the entire philosophy of the Bitcoin space and the Bitcoin culture. Uh, and kind of the goal with, I mean, the show, but uh, just kind of like the cypherpunk ideal in general um, is that we will only actually solve these things if we can opt out of the centralized systems. And generally, the reason we're trapped into these centralized systems is because of the convenience that they provide. So ultimately, that's an engineering problem. That's a that's a holy crap. Did you pee that quick? Yeah, I got a quick ladder, amazing. man. Hell yeah. He just peed in the corner of the room, like, right? <laughs> yeah, I got a spot for quick access. No, I got a single bedroom apartment, so I don't have to travel too far. Yeah. Uh, all right, wait, so tell me about this uh, digital blackout, because I haven't seen any. Uh, I remember reading years ago, there was this book that's not something that Jews with anxiety should pick up, but it was called What You Should Be Afraid About. And it was essays by like world experts <laughs> of things that nobody ever covers, but are actually like big risk to humanity. And yeah. One of the things I found was fascinating. They're like, forget nuclear bombs. If someone had one nuclear bomb and they blew it up right above the atmosphere, like the EKG or whatever would like knock out our electric, our electric. Yeah. The the electricity <laughs> system and experts exp would uh, think that within two months we would all kill each other. That's all it would take is if they knocked out the electric grid and we didn't have communications, we would all be like, well, that guy's coming to take my shit. So I better go kill him first. And they expect that within two months, like a fucking zombie apocalypse, we would just off each other. So now that to brings some degree. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, humans didn't get to where we didn't get to where we are as a species without an extreme, extreme ability to adapt. Right. Um, but there would be absolute death and destruction. Um, uh, and th that could that could be set off of a cyber pandemic uh you know you could act you could technically design an emp that didn't even have an explosion big enough uh, like you wouldn't need a nuclear bomb to set off an emp the size of a nuclear bomb um uh and you could design it specifically just to create the emp so people might not even realize that a bomb had set it off you could call it a cyber pandemic and it's actually a bomb 
Um, where have you been seeing? I haven't heard anything about a cyber pandemic. Where have you heard? Uh, Klaus, uh, Klaus has been talking about it. Oh, okay. I got a couple of different, and it's discussed as like a thing in the World Economic Forum, and the the fact that they were talking about vaccine mandates for years ahead of uh, the pandemic. Um, I don't know. You, you know, like of course that could be a ridiculous conspiracy theory, but at what points does coincidence stop being coincidence? Um, and you know, maybe they're just talking about threats in general and there's, there's nothing to it, but I don't know. I don't trust this. I just don't <laughs> like they're full of shit, you know? Um, and I don't believe for, for a second that if they could scare people enough and the cost was low enough in their view, right. That if it got them their desired outcome, I mean, they're most of them like literally, it is not even slightly covered up that they think we have too many people in the world and that we could only we should only have like two billion people. Somebody who talks about that and then starts talking about pandemics and cyber catastrophes. I don't trust you. Like, I don't. <laughs> well, I, it's, you it, don't you don't even like people. You think people shouldn't be here. You think two thirds of the world, three fourths of the world should just be eliminated so that we can fix everything. Like, I just. It's wild, like how do it, how do you it, dismiss it, the ideology, the philosophy of anti-humanism? You know, well, how do you better educate people to everyone going? Well, not that because they're describing literally. It's the villain in a movie when they sit down and they describe their plan. It's like we don't mm -hmm. like people, and so what we're going to do to control all of humanity is we're going to try and get everyone to opt into a digital system in which they can be tracked at all time. We can make decisions about their uh, their behavior. We can make decisions about where they go, the money they spend, their health decisions, and even the carbon that they consume. Because I see what they're doing with the carbon thing. They want to create a full scare scarcity, and this is like the this is what I think is the precursor to you will own nothing and be happy. Is that yeah. they will have the ability to manufacture things, and their carbon consumption is not going to count we won't be granted the same option because it will be considered a carbon expenditure for us. So our only choice is going to be to basically rent from them what before we could have just owned and enjoyed. And yeah. oh, I'm, and th there's no confusion about this. This, this is absolutely, we already saw this in 2020. We, we saw exactly me. what it will look like for us right. versus them. Like you think they're going to do it different if they've got a different excuse for it? No. Then are they, are they not going to do their vacations and their private jets and their big important meetings about how they're fixing the world? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, um, they didn't wear see... any masks through any of it. Like they they did whatever the hell they wanted. The, every the only time they did was for pictures. Do you pictures see any the signs camera. of them actually fucking with the global food supply? Um, I kind of think they already are. Um, uh, but I mean, I mean, what are lockdowns? Um, what's happened to the price of energy? What's happened to the price of food? Um, like, what are the consequences of inflation? What happens when you print six trillion dollars out of thin air for a year? Um, like, fog of war, you know? Like, again, fact from fiction, who knows? But food supply has always been, always, supply, supply and resources have always been the number one way to attack an enemy or achieve a militaristic end. Um, and I do think that we are in that phase of things. And it makes sense that in the digital economy, the whole idea is to not let people realize that we're in war. 
that when information is the commodity and attention is the commodity, the most critical thing is to make sure people don't realize where the actual war is being fought. You know, it, it's no coincidence. I think a great allegory is that the German population had no idea there was a Holocaust. Most people had no idea that this was happening. It was excused away. They they had all the major news media called it a like called it a silly idea, the equivalent of a conspiracy theory um, that this was happening, that, you know, like it's just policy to, you know, control the situation and make sure everybody's safe. Like, like it was just utterly denied. And sometimes until way after it was concluded um so why would that not be the case for us that like why would we be different that it wasn't about telling us lies that it wasn't about deceiving us into believing a false story about what's really going on and that there's tons of competing interests and that they're willing to let other people pay the price for their degrees of control i mean i don't I don't get this. It's so weird. It's so weird because so much of it isn't a conspiracy. Like I talk about, they they openly discuss these things. But it's like the conspiracy isn't that they're openly talking about it. It's like the conspiracy is belief, is, is not blindly swallowing the ridiculous idea that they're just doing all of these things for our own good. Or that they aren't just being absolutely eviscerated by all forms of mainstream media. Like the fact that this isn't yeah. like what's being reported on. I mean, think about the way that they would report on uh, Donald Trump and kind of manipulate yeah. outrage. The contradiction over... is so, the juxtaposition is glaring. Right. It's it so insane. Or uh, the way everyone was so upset over Kasahogie for all of a week. It's like if media decides to report on something, we would be outraged about it. If they if, if CNN was uh, hauling Carl Schlob, Schlob, whatever the fuck his name is, into whatever to defend. Hey, what's going on with the World Economic Forum? Why is this not treason? Why is it that you want people to be tracked for their carbon? Well, what's that going to do to energy prices? Like we could crumble this in a week. It's just a yeah. function of education. And the education is just a function of honest reporting. Wait a second. Well, like why? Uh, you know, there was a correlation between when you guys were talking about vaccines and now you're talking about a digital like, are you guys planning something here? Like, it, you know what I mean? It's not that many questions, even just put the feet, to the, just put their feet to the fire. And yeah, it falls apart in no time because they specifically control to make sure that they never have to answer difficult questions like they would be so unprepared in that situation. Um, right. Like, they have no practice. Yeah, why have <laughs> I no never practice. even they, seen this they guy? They make sure that their entire environment is softball. Isn't it wild that you've never seen this guy Schwab in an interview ever? I've never seen yeah. him in an American interview. I've never seen him on American yeah. television. Like who, like, who the fuck is this guy to be talking about American policy in any capacity? Yeah. And, and why are our people even going over there? That's another thing. We should be reporting on anyone who's interacting with them. Shame, shame them for that also. Why are you involved with this? So there's there's an element of uh, here's an analogy on trying to control the narrative and trying to get people to understand that what we choose to pay attention to or what the legacy media chooses to talk about and what politicians choose to talk about has nothing to do with its connection to reality or the degree of the problem and how easy 
it would be, how unbelievably easy it would be to make something that would make a tiny problem seem a thousand times larger than it is and make a huge problem seem to be a thousandth of the size that it actually is. And so a good example is just, just take our natural human, like the seconds that we have in a day to pay attention to things. We have a fraction of a fraction of a tiny sliver of a piece of a grain of sand of all of the sand of the oceans of the world as far as as far as our little reality that we get access to we could be we could be we're literally missing orders of magnitude upon orders of magnitude more about the world that we don't know and that we can never know than we ever actually do know so imagine there is something that is affecting one in a hundred thousand people there's some sort of a problem racism or uh, a disease or heart attack or something but the political elite the the i hate the word elite the political class and the media and the establishment find value in taking advantage or exposing or exaggerating one of those things and they talk about this thing that affects a hundred one in a hundred thousand people every single day every single case that means you know let's say we're doing this daily or weekly is there's 300 million people in the world that's 3,000 things you could you could have a 20-minute report on each one of these events every single day and you'd never catch up you'd be infinitely behind on this issue and Imagine the amount of focus and how bad it would obviously be when you see this person is a victim of it and this person and this other thing that happened and how unbelievably focused and vicious and how, how much you would hate someone who said this isn't a big problem because oh, that's all you've seen. They talk about it 24-7, 365, how big of an issue that would impossibly be. Now imagine there's an issue that occurs with one in 1,000 people. It's important to understand that the the average the Dunbar's number, the average person is able to handle like 150 to 200 relationships in their brain. Like that's that's kind of the degree of close association that you have in your social group without these organizational protocols, without language, without money, um, without, uh, uh, you know, kind of like fundamental protocols for organizing society. We can't scale past that. That's why we went from tribes to civilization. Um, is when we created these scaling technologies. So anything outside of 150, 200 people, if it's not affecting at that level, it's almost impossible to recognize in your normal day-to-day, you interact with people life, that something is occurring. So if something hits one in a thousand people, I'll give an example, is in the uh, uh, Pfizer documents, there were a thousand kids in the trial and one of them was paralyzed. And uh, she was paralyzed from the waist down. She has to eat out of a straw and she is trying to sue because in the study, they listed the outcome of this as a, a stomach ache. This was the consequence of uh, her outcome. And they're still in court about this to sue Pfizer. One in a thousand, one in a thousand and a product that was pushed to market passed all the FDA approvals. This would make it basically the most dangerous thing ever put on market ever. Wait, like they listed the side as, effect as a stomach ache and she's paralyzed? The, the, her, par- her being paralyzed and 13-year-old girl, 
13 year old girl. She just, she played sports to completely healthy. Um, she had like multiple blood clots and like some spinal thing. And she's just completely, her life is just, her life is sitting in a chair, eating shit out of a straw. Um, uh, and this was listed as a stomach ache in their accounting, in their, in their, their great. How study is that not fraud? Open it. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Don't ask me, man. Um, one in a thousand. Like, so now that's not a big enough case study to know that it's one in a thousand. Right. You, know, you have to do 20,000 and you have to get 20. But it's to, enough to, to go, to really hey, let's call not push it that. But it's enough to say one happened in a thousand cases. You should not, nobody should be touching this. Right. Um, uh, this should never, ever, ever be allowed to be injected in someone without absolute information given to them so that they understand this and it more people died in the control group than in the um i mean in the in the vaccine group than the control group um so but those were unrelated those are just normal heart disease and things like that um uh so anyway let's say that's actually the outcome that there is a one in a thousand damage from uh from this therapeutic um injection that people are getting if nobody talked about it, if it wasn't on the legacy media, if Twitter filters specifically halted the spread of that information, if they always put a disclaimer, if they got you banned from YouTube and no one talked about what a big deal it was, it's outside your Dunbar's number. You probably don't know anybody who had a consequence of it. You know 200 people, which means that you have a one in five chance of knowing somebody who has myocarditis or who got paralyzed, which means that and how easy is it excuse when you know one person? Yeah, I definitely don't know 500 kids. You'd have to be a weird like, I mean, adult. Just, I mean, just think about it. Like you, you would, despite the fact that there would be 3 million people suffering from this, you would really have no way to know. You would, you're, the only way that you can figure this out is if you've got some really reliable statistic and you believe that statistic over some other statistic which tries to dumb it down or make it look like not as much of a problem. You would just know there would be no there's still no scope. We can't relate to numbers in the millions like it is humanly impossible. The most things that the average person can hold in their brain at one time that they can even imagine is like five to seven. Like if you try to remember, if you try to picture five apples, you can look in your head and you can see five apples. If you try to do ten, you just skip. You just have like an apple at the end, an apple at the other end, and then you just have kind of like stuff. And you can maybe pick it out if you just kind of focus on some parts of it. But you can't see 10 things in your head, most people. Um, and we're talking about millions. It's all about the attention. It's all about what people talk about. It's all about what they focus on. And these people control the filters. They control the value hierarchies of what we get to see and what we talk about and how far that information spreads. If we don't just exit those systems, if we don't, it's an engineering problem. We are vulnerable to their arrogance and their self-righteousness, their belief that when they're wrong, it's okay. And when everybody else is wrong, they need to be controlled. So we look, have to figure out how to opt out. Like that's uh, the only solution. That's a, that's a good segue to this question that I had for you is, uh, I've noticed with myself that I start becoming one of my uh, I got two filters for bullshit. One filter for bullshit is you say something and I go, well, that's clearly not true. 
And then I get interested in what you said because I want to disprove it. So like, for yeah. example, when they were saying the vaccine's safe and effective, I'm like, well, that's bullshit. And when they started putting out numbers, I'm like, well, that's bullshit. And then I become interested. That's one form of bullshit is you make a statement that's just certifiably false. Yeah. Another form of bullshit is that you just dance around information and you don't actually give me anything. And I've <laughs> noticed that what I start doing is I start kind of just tuning it out. But I realize more and more when I'm reading the news now, I'm kind of just like absent minded and tuning out because it's the second form of bullshit where it's like they're not actually giving me any information. There's no substance. There's no substance. It's like very yeah. surface level. Um, it, Like they're almost like giving you a signal that there's a, like a story happening, but without any of the information about it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious because I, I, I'm basically I'll tell you my, my news for a long time. I started with the week daily briefing and speed reads, which aren't like, I mean, now it's super liberal now. It didn't used to be, but now it's mm -hmm. like, but it was pretty good recap. Then I would move on to Google news. Then I would read the wall street journal and then I would research like individual. Oh no. Then, then I would do Twitter and then I would research the individual topics that were kind of coming across my radar as being like the big topics of the day. I'm now mm -hmm. zero hedge is basically the best news source in my opinion at the moment. And all of the other ones, I find yeah, more. It feels all right. Um, but I mean, I, I read them a lot. I, I, like, I think they exaggerate things. Um, and there's a lot of opinion in Zero Hedge. But I, I know that going in. And I think they're not really. I think they're great. They on don't obscure that. They don't talk about right. being not opinionated. So, like, I just know that. Like, I'm, I'm not an idiot, you know. <laughs> I think they do a great job on the social stories when it comes to the financial stories. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're true to their name, which is that the it's all going to fail uh, and that the you know lifespan of any society is zero. So it, like mm -hmm. it's true to the name and I get lost in that shit. But when it comes to the social stories, uh, particularly all the Corona coverage. So I, I ask you, where are your news sources? I'm looking for new places like I, I do. I used to read Reddit news in the Obama era because it was great. But then once Trump came around, that jumped the shark. I'm finding most of my legacy media sources have kind of jumped the shark on me so i'm curious to know like uh like for example on uh, when it comes to uh, like vaccine stuff i found alex berenson that guy's got great coverage specifics of the vaccine i'm I, looking I for read more... lots of sub stacks yeah so give us some of the stacks and newsletters out the ass um rounding the earth um uh, alex berenson um I, I follow a lot of the the doctors the the great barrington declaration they have like a couple of main people i can't remember um dr malone is kind of the more obvious one but i actually don't read a lot of his stuff i, I kind of pick and choose um but there's uh that other guy god i i read him way more than anybody else i can't remember his damn name um but uh i, I follow a lot of people on that topic i actually have so many newsletters now in my email that i actually have a filter that i just call the database and and it's just like aggregating all of those things so it automatically grabs all of them and puts so who's who would red. you say are uh top picks for like geopolitics or uh like just um, money money and financial stuff podcasts for me um uh like it's mostly people that I follow in Twitter and then digging into their podcasts and book recommendations. I do a lot of short form. Oh, that's not true. I do a lot of articles and stuff. Um, but I do, I kind of have like a hierarchy. I go from Twitter and the people that I respect and seem to have like good um, analysis on things. Uh, and then go from there to their blogs. Lynn Alden is great. 
Um, uh, and she also is probably a great place to find recommendations. Actually, Bitcoin Audible is like a kind of a culmination of a lot of this. So if you actually go down through Bitcoin Audible and look at like the authors, they're basically a who's who of who I think are good to read because it's me reading them right. on the show. Um, and uh, but then also audiobooks are really good and people are getting I, I feel like there's like this weird era where the turnover for books is a whole lot faster. Right. Like, like it was early 2021. I was reading a lot of stuff about COVID-19. And right. it was late 2021. I was reading stuff about the vaccines. Um, and uh, and uh, dude, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book on the real Anthony Fauci is just oh, mind blowing. Um, and I also try to go back and forth because if I'm not listening to I mean, I have a lot of time on my hands like I do. I read as a business, basically. Right. right? Um, so I consume an extraordinary amount of content. Um, but. Uh, in doing so, I read the I'll listen to like the conspiracy theory book on the WEF and then I'll listen to Klaus Schwab's The Great Reset. I'm going to read um, his books and I, I, I want to I'm going to make that the last topic for my end pick out that, that I pick read out them. the ideology in it. Right. I'm like, there's one thing there's one thing in the Industrial Revolution that he talks about that I think is so, so wrong. It's correct in part of its thinking, but it's wrong in why it's happening is that he's. He's confusing the service economy with the idea that like the marginal return on utility is actually going down. Like the, the economies of scale is getting better is that like costs are linear and outcomes are exponential. And then he uses things like Uber and Facebook and like these software companies as examples of it. And then he talks about this. This is where actually I was trying to allude to earlier is how they're trying to do the exact same thing with a digital ID and reputation system uh, and like kind of the top down credit social credit score control um which is exactly the fallacy that they did to our money that, that's causing a currency collapse is and the reason uber works he talks about like uber doesn't have any cars right and uh, uh amazon well i guess amazon does produce things um uh now but like you know facebook doesn't create any content airbnb doesn't have any real estate etc cetera, etc cetera. like they deal in networks not in the product that they actually provide. And then he says, oh, the overhead is like so low and this is the future of the economy. It's like, no, the future of the economy is always production. These are rent seekers. And the fundamental problem that Uber and Facebook and Airbnb have are reputation systems and authentication. And inevitably, you solve that and the data persistence problem, which usually comes with data integrity and authentication, um, is you actually don't need them anymore. Like they're tr purely a transitional phase. Uber takes like 50%. Uber and Lyft takes like 50% of what you make. That's ridiculous, right? right? They don't drive anybody anywhere. What we what they do is they vet the driver and they vet the user and they create data integrity about the reputation that is being that is forming from this, that it's a real reputation, and then they connect you. That's it. They're a protocol. The a protocol can replace them. In fact, we've built all the tools to replace them already. The thing is, is we've just not made it into a cohesive thing. And the convenience of the centralized system has always outweighed the difficulty of trying to engineer an entire system as a replacement. But I actually think we've done it. Um, the, the thing I've been using recently, uh, Keat is a great example of kind of the beginnings of this. Um, but it, and it's an insanely, insanely ambitious project. Keat is just a chat app on top of it. 
Um, but the project itself is called Hypercore and uh, Hole Punch. Um, and it's being built on by uh, essentially it's decentralized identity without a central controller, okay, um, without a certificate authority. Um, and in doing so, the decentralized identity actually enables decentralized connections. It, it runs exactly like BitTorrent does, how it makes a connection. So you know how uh, BitTorrent is file sharing where you have just static files that exist and everybody is a peer and somebody has the file and somebody wants the file and you have this connection mechanism. It's, referred to, it's called a DHT from a technical standpoint, but it just means that there's a distributed way to figure out where people are on the network. And you connect to them, and then you download the file directly from them. So I'm not downloading the movie from Netflix. I'm downloading the movie from the last person who watched the movie. <laughs> um, and that's how BitTorrent works. But BitTorrent has a huge limitation. Really clunky interface. It's only for static, unchanging files. And it's not live. Um, it's, it's like, that's why you have to have a client, and you have to get the torrent file, and you need an indexer. It's like, it's like five steps to get there. Hypercore is essentially the same connection mechanism, except everything is live. Everything can be updated immediately, and every person is a public key, so the data integrity is built in. So it solves basically three stacks of the internet, like DNS, the certificate authority, and, um, uh, and TCP, like the underlying connection mechanism, and it basically puts into one mechanism, and it works. It works. Almost every single time I tried one of these decentralized systems, IPFS, um, Tor, like all, all the various different, um, we're going to we're going to fix the connection problem, we're going to fix the centralization problem, it always was less convenient. It was always a headache, um, and I would get excited about it and be like, man, there's a lot of potential here, but you know, the average person is going to use it. And the, the fact that I geek out about it for six months is whatever. Um, and it's fun, but it's it's going to be stuck in a technical dark corner of the internet and it's never going to leave. Um, this is the first thing that I think might actually work. Um, and I, I, I say that knowing that I could be wrong and knowing how many things have tried to do this and failed and how ambitious the project is because it's ultimately trying to change the client server relationship. Are they selling tokens? Can I buy tokens in? Kidding. No, no fucking tokens. <laughs> um, they are integrating lightning though. Okay. Um, but, uh, um <laughs> no token no blockchain it's not necessary it just makes everything slower and dumber um uh but uh i regardless there's so much pressure towards solving this problem and i think this is fundamentally how it happens because what they want to do as the solution is where uber is just an authentication problem and a reputation problem and an integrity problem facebook same thing airbnb same thing they have separate permissioned authentication networks the reputation networks so you can't bridge them you can't i can't i can't use my airbnb reputation to ride ride in a car right um, and because they're all separate entities and they are making massive rent off closing their authentication and reputation networks right and so Klaus Schwab thinks that the solution of this is to make a giant overarching politically controlled identity authentication and reputation system. And in fact, because of the awful, terrible cyber pandemic potentiality, what we should do is we should actually make the Internet whitelisted. We're going to make the whole Internet a permissioned controlled entity. And through our 
thousand billionaires that we get together at the WEF, what with all of their influence, we can make the ISP require you to sign in with your digital ID. We can require your bank. We can require everybody. Everybody's going to use this one giant system. So just like they turned the individual bank run problem into a destroy the entire country and everybody goes down with you problem, they're doing the same thing with the digital identity and authentication a reputation problem they're just making it centrally controlled and they're making it so that everything falls apart if it doesn't work um and they're not solving the problem of like the honeypot of information they're just making one giant honeypot they're making right. the biggest possible honeypot ever and so they're not solving a security problem they're not solving an identity problem they're creating identity control and right because then you're totally reliant on their infrastructure you're totally reliant right totally i get reliant. it you can't do anything without them um and that's why the most important thing to do is build their obsolescence, build, build, build the system that obsoletes them before they finish theirs. Right. This is their five to 10 year plan. Then we should have a three to five year plan. Right. And that should be to make our own version that they don't control, that anybody can opt into as whenever they want. And to push its adoption as fast as possible. And I think we're kind of in this place there where we need to be using Bitcoin. Like we need to be using these systems. Um, and funny thing is Keat has much better video quality. So like if we were using Keat right now as a chat and messaging app, I mean, I'm it's still check, alpha. Right. I'm going to check that out because I, I, I'm very interested in owning all of my own content, having mm -hmm. some sort of a mechanism by which fans can pay me directly for it. And to be off of your like... I tried building my own website, which I still have, but I have additional platform that I was looking to host on it. But yeah. I, I'm very in, like I've been I I just haven't even checked out like your uh, uh, your Patreons or this or that. But mm -hmm. at some point, I would like to go daily with some sort of an option for that kind of thing. So I will definitely check that out. That sounds interesting. I definitely I'll send you a link actually to a conversation cool. um, I had with uh, John Carvalho on Synonym and kind of what they're building. A listen part of this ecosystem right um and uh, i can send you a link to like a keat room or something you can jump in and hang out with us how uh how easy is it for like i guess people that like the platform i people that like the content to be able to go there to uh i guess just watch it like is it an easy conversion for fans of the podcast to show up there and do it or is there like a bunch of steps and downloads uh, well, I'll tell you the, if it was a whole bunch of steps and downloads and it was complicated to use, then I wouldn't think it had the potential to actually. Work. Right. Um, uh, but not all the tools are there yet. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot for podcasting. Like literally right. it's, it's bare bones proof that this works. Right. You've got slash tags, which are just identity. You're saying if I get um, an early, you might sell me some coins. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, key coin, baby. Um, no, uh, skeet, skeet. Skeet, skeet. Um, uh, so my sister-in-law is actually a great, probably a good example of this, is that um, I uh, I always make my close friends and family use like the more secure option and the always less convenient option almost right. universally. Um, and uh, every single time they're just kind of like, uh, okay, fine. What do I need? Okay, I got to use ProtonMail instead of Gmail. Oh, God, I got to use Signal instead of just Messenger. You know, right. like, 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 but I, I get them all to do it, but they, they come reluctantly. Um, and uh, there's always like one extra step and they're always like kind of annoyed with it. So I, I did this with my sister-in-law and I was like, listen, just get on Keat. We'll do the Bitcoin Audible stuff over, over Keat. And, um, and she was like, fine. And uh, I was like, all right, download this. 
And I sent her a link and she was like, and I was like punching the link and then she punched in the link and then boom, she was in the room. She's like, Oh, easy. That's it. I was like, that's it. It just works. She's like, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. We'll use this. <laughs> like, and that was, that was it. She didn't have to know the, the incredible back end that was making that possible. It just worked. It just worked. It was encrypted, fully encrypted, fully private. There's no central servers, no nonsense. Just talking between me, her, and uh, two other people we got All in right. the room. I'll have to check out these it. skeet people. Skeet people. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mr. Swan, I feel like we covered it. We went in deep, shared some big ideas. Any uh, final remarks? Um, I will be starting tomorrow. Um, I think it'll probably be two episodes, maybe three. I don't know. But there's a piece on rounding the earth, actually, one of the substacks that I follow um, about FTX. I just about read the that. World Economic Forum. Did you just read it? Well, I was about it's halfway huge. through before we started okay. the episode. I was like, I'm going to have to leave this for later. Rounding okay. the earth, I, I was not familiar with until Zero Hedge posted this article. Um, uh, but well, there will uh, be an audio version. So if you want to yeah. you want to listen to it on the show, it will be it'll be this week. So. Yeah, it is a long read, but interesting thus far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't agree with everything in it. Um, I think, but I, but I think again, you think the orgies are more important than he was playing it off. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but there's that element of the the exaggerated conspiracy sometimes, which inevitably gets exaggerated. Right, is still has more sensible statements and conclusions about the facts from these things than I think the normal narrative Can I, does. In um, my, so take it all with a grain of salt, but I think there's a lot of useful information in it. This goes back two years ago, and I said the comment jokingly. I, I've, I, mm -hmm. Dude, I don't even remember that this was about FTX, but when I saw them on a stadium or like with Tom, one of the two, I turned to one of my coworkers and I was like, all right, how do we get some of this bullshit crypto scam money to sponsor us? Like, how come we can't get this on podcasts? And now it's two years later. I think it was FTX. Like, I'm pretty sure when I saw them on like the Miami stadium, like I just saw that article and I was like, yeah. how come? Or it might have been when uh, crypto.com started sponsoring the UFC. Maybe it was that one. That um, might have been it. Yeah. yeah. Even though I guess that's more. I don't know. Is that just a legit exchange or? That's the same thing. I actually think crypto.com has been having trouble. I think I think they got caught up in the Alameda thing. I'm not surprised. Well, because they're all yeah, borrowing against each other's bullshit to leverage it, which like that's just like I said, it's it. fiat finance. Yeah, it it's works. Fiat in, finance slapped it, on the tokens. And it works with the Fed. Not that it's good, but you'll get your bailouts because they can't have signals faulting in that system. Because when signals yeah. fault in that system, they're the institutional players are at risk. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the crypto landscape at the moment, the institutions are not roped in enough, which is the hostage situation that you need for Fed bailouts. You need pension funds. You need Black Rocks. You need you need J.P. Morgan. You need the institutional players to be going down with the ship for them to save the ship. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That is our show. Check out Bitcoin Audible. Like I said, I got live tour dates. I will be in uh, Kansas City, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, um, uh, Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. Go to RobbieTheFire.com for uh, tickets. Uh, Any plans for North Carolina? I would like to add a North Carolina. I have to figure out a new tour strategy for uh, for next year. You did go to Virginia, didn't you? Um. Yeah, North Carolina's. I, I feel I like I almost thought I was going to go, but like I feel like there'd be a nice circle of 
like Myrtle Beach, Virginia. Like, there's a lot of places mm-hmm. there that I have not uh, toured at. So, dude, you should come down to Wilmington. I mean, I'm okay. three hours from Wilmington, but right. there's like a good crew. There's a good crew in Wilmington. You might. Wilmington might be a good way to do it. It's also uh, a lot of those areas are easy flights from where I am. So, yeah, I got to figure out touring for next year for now, rounding out the end of year. All right. Always a pleasure, Mr. Right. Swan. See you again soon. Robbie, good hanging, man. Peace. Take it easy.